Welcome, everybody, to the Future Belongs to Creators podcast. I am your regular co-host, Charlie, and I'm joined by Miguel. And we have a special guest today. Jay Klaus is joining us. He is the host of Creative Elements podcast and has also started this challenge that is like, I mean, it feels like it's going viral over on, on my Twitter feed at the moment called the Tweet 100, where... Correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but it's creators are challenged to tweet every single day something valuable for 100 days. Is that right? That's it. Simple. Easy. <laughs> easy. Hmm. Or, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> simple for sure. Definitely simple, but maybe not easy. Depends. There we go. There we go. We wanted to have Jay on because, I don't know, Twitter comes up every now and then on this show. Mostly it comes up in Miguel saying he doesn't use Twitter, Haley saying she doesn't get Twitter either, and me like advocating for Twitter because it's my favorite of the social <laughs> network options out there. But we know it's important for creators and that it can be a really great source for sharing your work, for building an audience, for making connections. And so I'm excited to have you on to talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Twitter is also my favorite. I try really hard to get into Instagram, but I'm just not a video person. It's so hard. Hmm. So Twitter's the one. Yeah, and it sucks that you have to be video now to be on Instagram, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. You really have to perform on Instagram for it to work. And it's like, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Sometimes I'm not video ready, Charlie. Sometimes. I mean, yeah. These days, I feel like me being video ready is just like, I mean, I don't have makeup on today. I didn't do my hair. Like, I've lost all shame when it comes to being on video. <laughs> I mean, that's why we do a podcast, right? Is that you can just, you know, wear sweatpants and it's fine. So, yeah, although we do stream this podcast live, so yeah, there is a portion of people who do see the video. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but Jay, how long have you been on Twitter and what do you love about it? Maybe let's start there. I think I joined in 2009. I was actually pretty early. I remember like the only people I was following were Michael Ian Black and Mark Hoppus. It was like at the time, Twitter yes. was all about yep. stand-up comedy jokes and musicians who were also doing jokes. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love it because it's an incredible way to meet people. Like it's probably the shortest path to accessing the types of people you really, really want to meet and even people that you don't know that you want to meet yet. But once you become aware of them, you're like, oh, I want to talk to this person. And it's just so easy. People are so responsive. People spend so much time. They're looking at their replies. They're looking at their DMs. You can reach just about anybody there. That's my feeling towards Twitter, too, is that it is a conversation, whereas all the other social media feels more like I am posting this thing. You might comment on my thing, but it's I don't know. And maybe I'll reply, but it's not really encouraged to have that conversation go back and forth. And Twitter really feels like it is. So, yeah, that's what I like about it, too. It's got like a good ethereal nature to it also, where like... Mm. Of course, you can put some work into really preparing a thread or a couple of good tweets, but then also there's very little risk to throwing out like a pretty half-baked idea because sometimes it catches, oh, yeah. you get some really good <laughs> feedback and sometimes it just gets washed away in the river of tweets and it's fine. So as somebody who doesn't use Twitter as much, so usually I'm in the majority here with me and Haley being ignorant towards Twitter, but apparently yeah. I'm, in the, I'm in the minority now. So I, I'm not, well done, Charlie. I see you chose your guests wisely. So I'm by no means like a Twitter hater or anything. I just, there's only so much social media that I can do. And I just like kind of picked one and kind of stick with it. And I think for me, that's Instagram, but whatever. So I do have Twitter on my phone and it doesn't 
have any notifications or anything. It's like I go to it when I I'm like, oh, yeah, Twitter. And it's really interesting how like in a lot of ways, it's a lot like Facebook. It's like posts and likes and people commenting on the things that you post. But for some reason, it's not like Facebook because like you said, yeah, it's for some reason. I'm not sure of the reason why, but it doesn't devolve into that Facebookness. And it's just more of conversation and like real time stuff instead of just like just the verbal, just like vomiting of of that that can be that Facebook can be. So it's just an interesting place to go. I do like it for yeah. whenever there's something happening right now. That's like the place I go because like it's the most up to date thing. There's no lag. And I love that about Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I, it could be like Facebook. It could also be like LinkedIn because kind of everything is the same now and there's just mm-hmm. feature parity across everything. But it's really about like who's yeah, using yeah. it and what are they putting on it and the types of people that I'm trying to meet and learn from. It seems like they're most readily sharing their ideas on Twitter. It seems it feels I wouldn't say like pop culture, but it's kind of about the speed of information. People post all kinds of stuff on Instagram also, but that feels more like everyday and entertainment based than it does like as deeply ideas based, Yep, I think. That's how I feel. I sometimes feel too like Twitter is, I I think people perform on Twitter like they do on Instagram, but Twitter feels like you said more like you're getting a connection to the people that you want to be inspired by and you have a chance to actually have the conversation with them for sure. So let's talk about the challenge. Why did you start it, Jay? Why the challenge to get people using Twitter more? Well, I identify as a writer more than anything else. Before I was a podcaster, I was a writer. And I know that as Teddy said in the chat, Twitter, I think, is underestimated and misunderstood platform for lead generation, too, and meeting new people and getting your ideas in front of new people. And every time that I did put some effort into sharing my ideas on Twitter, it went well. But I just wasn't doing it nearly as often as I would like. And I would see these people that joined later than me that I knew that are friends of mine who like very clearly made an asserted effort towards I'm going to take Twitter seriously and share my ideas and try to build up a little bit of a following. And they would do it like pretty reliably. It just seemed like, okay, I see what's happening here. Like they are blogging almost, but using mm-hmm. the native way of how things work on Twitter, which is in threads and in line breaks and a bunch of ideas, you know, put simply. It's like, I know what they're doing and I could do that. Why am I just not? Why am I like too proud to put that effort forward when I know that it would be good for me and good for people, I should just do it. And I needed a mechanism to do that. Going all the way back to 2017, I started writing an email newsletter because I just wanted a mechanism to force myself to like create something every day at first. And then it became every week. And so that's just what what I've always done in my creative life is if, if I promise other people I'm going to do something, then I'll do it because there's accountability. <laughs> and I wanted to create a way of doing that. And it felt like doing the Tweet 100 challenge was a good way to create that. And I like that you're bringing other people along this journey, you know, like you knew you needed to do this yourself and you're like, okay, let's all do it together and have a bit of that accountability. I've looked at the Tweet 100 site and seen like the setup that you have for it. Cause sometimes a Twitter challenge is just like, okay, join in and like just use the hashtag and that's it. That's you being part of the challenge. But you've gone a step further than that. Can you talk us through a little bit about how you set up the functional side of this challenge? It really escalated quickly. Um, yes. My thought was, <laughs> 
Well, and part of the reason why I did this was also because there was somebody I had in Creative Elements. Her name is Lalise Stamps. She uh, was here in Columbus. She just moved to Milwaukee. She did a 100-day challenge creating ceramic mugs and blew up. Like She did an art show here in Columbus, but then her page on Instagram blew up and she got a ton of press attention because her work was incredible. Like The whole thing was, I'm going to create a different ceramic mug every day for a hundred days. And the only way you can That's make mugs, mugs different is like <laughs> the handle and like maybe the basin. So it was really, really cool. And I just thought to myself, man, a hundred day challenge would be really powerful, but I don't have a lot of time for something crazy. And these things merge in my mind where it's like, I want to spend more time on Twitter. That feels like a manageable thing to do for a hundred days. And when I thought, okay, it'd be fun to bring people along for the ride. I just started thinking, how can I allow people to check in every day to say like, I did it and publicly share that in some sort of leaderboard. And it seemed like a spreadsheet would be just fine, honestly. But the problem with the spreadsheet was if I gave just the general public edit access, <laughs> somebody could wreak havoc accidentally or on purpose. And I just tweeted out like, how do I create a leaderboard where it can reflect people's progress, but not give public edit access? And Aaron from Automate All the Things was like, you want to come on the stream and build it live? I said, sweet, let's do it. And so I went on there and he, he built this really great prototype using Airtable and Zapier and a script, which was really awesome and very functional. And people loved it, loved it to the degree that we had hundreds of people join within a matter of like a couple of days. Wow. And my Zapier bill got very expensive, very oh, quickly. No. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I hired another guy, Steven, who knows Aaron well, and we moved the back end from Zapier to Integromat. But the end result is if you use the hashtag, I'm not just saying that to like show like, hey, I'm in tweet 100. That's literally the mechanism for how we can log that you did the activity so that you don't have to update anything manually. Mm -hmm. And it's still pretty operationally intensive from like an automation standpoint, but it's really slick and it's really resilient. And it's really cool because every day, like I just see there are more and more views on the website leaderboard where people are checking like, was that logged? How am I doing? And it's really fun. I really love how it's kind of like building a community too, because on the Tweet 100 website, uh, there's a, a big chunk of the website after you scroll down about, I don't know, a quarter of the way down the page is just basically showcasing a big board of all the people who have used that hashtag. So essentially by doing it, I'm incentivizing myself and creating accountability, like you said, but I'm also basically putting my tweet on a website where other people that are doing this mm. or maybe just people who are following it, maybe not participating are doing it. So it's kind of a way of kind of getting people to look at you and maybe create and build a community of people who, I mean, heck, if you're the kind of person that wants to do this, the other people that want to do this are probably the kind of people you want to connect with. So that's really cool. I want to find how many tweets have been sent because last time I checked, it yes. was like thousands and thousands and thousands. There might actually be now 800 people that have joined. Let me pull up Airtable real quick and look. Yes, we love looking into numbers. <laughs> the community aspect has been, that's really blown my mind. I didn't realize that was going to happen the way that it did. And I think it kind of started just because like I wanted people to take it seriously and to find support because the whole premise is like, hey, I believe when you tweet more, you're going to get more impressions, more views, more followers. It's going to be a good thing. So in the beginning, I was just going through the hashtag every day and supporting every single tweet myself. And I think that signaled to other people that that was a good idea. And so lots of people do that and support each other. And so now like it's literally boosting everybody's tweets. 
and getting the result that we're looking for. Okay, so we've had 13,587 tweets since starting this 41 days ago. And there are 786 people who have joined the challenge. That's a lot of tweets and a lot of people. It's a lot of tweets and a lot of people. (laughs) How did this happen? How did you gain traction with it? And wait on. First of all, what was your Twitter following when you started this as well? Because I'd also like to know what impact it's had on your own following and your own tweet engagement, if you've got those numbers. I do. And I actually built it so that the leaderboard itself tracks every participant's follower growth. Amazing. So let me sort this real quick. It looks like... I know I was above 10,000. Mm-hmm. Let me get you exact numbers here. I got so many views in this Airtable now. I just have like this <laughs> crazy backend system that's very fun. Okay, let's... Miguel worked it out. The, the numbers you just said was an average of over 300 tweets a day. I don't know that's why you posted that in the chat and didn't say it, Miguel. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt. You can participate in the podcast. <laughs> you know, it sounded like he was in the zone, so I didn't want to throw him off. Slapping numbers out in there. I started with 10,314 followers. Now I'm at Mm -hmm. 11,062 for 748 followers gained. But I am not the biggest success of this challenge. The biggest success, I think, is George. But let me ensure. Azar Azar Shad has grown almost 4,000, 3,891. George Cisneros has grown 3,836. Ariel from Squadcast has grown 922, almost 1,000. Wow. No Code Life, his name is Kieran, is 1,004. It's wild. People have grown a lot. That's so cool. And that you like helped them make that happen. I have this number too. 41,543 followers gained across people in the challenge. Wow. That's big growth. Okay. So how did you get this traction with this? How did you... You had this idea for yourself and you were going to do it anyway, right? Like the point of this wasn't to make it into a big thing that a bunch of people take part in. But how did this happen? How did word spread? I mean, I think the way it's designed is inherently a little bit viral because Uh for the mechanism to work, as I said, because otherwise, if you join the challenge and I wasn't looking for just a tweet 100 tweet, I would be looking through 786 people's entire tweet timeline every day, which would be order of magnitude more expensive than it is now. So you had to join the Airtable database, which I automated Mm -hmm. with ConvertKit, actually. ConvertKit Uh was the front page to basically say, like, here's the challenge that I'm doing. Enter your email if you want to join the challenge. Because I also (laughs) wanted to have, like, a little bit of protection Mm -hmm. and make sure that, like, email addresses were real and people were actually real people. So they sign up. Once you do that, you get emailed the link to, like, complete your registration and join the challenge. It's free. But again, it then has a sequence when you join that basically tells you like, here's what to expect. Here's how it works. Here's where the leaderboard is. Here are some tools that can be helpful. Here are a couple of interviews I've done in Creative Elements with people who have done Twitter really, really well. That'll help you. So ConvertKit plays an integral role. But because you have to use the hashtag Tweet100 for it to count on the board, it'll show up in people's feeds quite a bit. And they'll say, what is this? They'll either reply. And people have been like very kind in responding to people who are saying, what's tweet 100 and saying, it's this, here's the link, join. But otherwise, if you go down the rabbit hole a little bit and you click the hashtag, I think a lot of people are going to the the feed that shows like tweets with the hashtag, but also people that have it in their bio and they'll find me. It's my pinned tweet to say, how, here's how you join. And as you said, Miguel, an average of over 300 tweets a day, that's 300 tweets getting in front of hundreds, thousands of people who are seeing it for the first time. 
And some of those people are super spreaders in a non-COVID way. (laughs) In the best way, yeah. In the best way, (laughs) which is great. It's just inherently spreadable in that way because people who are seeing it are on Twitter, which means they probably care about Twitter Mm -hmm. and growing their following on Twitter. It's just like it worked out well. I noticed another thing that you've done as well is put in your name on Twitter, and I saw a few other people part of the challenge doing this too, like a 36 out of 100 to sort of show your progress and where you're at. Yeah, yeah, I did that. I had a little bird emoji for a little bit too. This is actually something I keep punting. I really want to create a little Tweet 100 logo for the website. And then Mm. I just think it'd be fun, but I haven't gotten that far yet. But we did have like a little birdie emoji on my name for a while too. But I put it in the bio and I put it in my name and other people follow suit when they see that. And it's fun having that public accountability just works. It really, really does. Because especially if you're going as far as putting it in your bio or on your name, you're starting to attach your identity to it a little bit and your success is either like aligned with who you think you are like if you put it on there you're probably someone that's like i can do this i can accomplish this now now like you're really you're really pulled to do it yeah it sounds like you're trying to kind of you had several goals in this it sounds like you wanted to kind of create a mechanism for self accountability like you said you wanted to grow your following and other people's followings And you also wanted to do something that helped kind of people connect with one another. Were there any other goals outside of those things that you were hoping to accomplish with this? If you could have the, your dream outcome from this experiment, what would, what does that look like? Well, you know, to call out the obvious, if I care about growing my following, there's some level of selfishness involved right? Like I I want to grow my following. I want to get in front of new people. I want my work to get in front of new people. I'm putting more work into creative elements, my podcast than anything else. And so podcast discovery is inherently very, very challenging. So challenging as you guys know, I'm sure. And Mm -hmm. I realized that, well, probably the best way for me to grow the podcast is to just use myself as a vehicle. Like if I get myself in front of more people and I'm evangelizing the podcast, then more people are going to find it. So Twitter became a place where I thought I should be doing more on Twitter for the show. And then I realized, well, all that stuff will happen as like a secondary result if I do a good job of helping people with this challenge. If I get in front of people, they're going to see me. They're going to get the series telling them how to do well in Tweet 100. And I can deliver these two episodes with Dickie Bush and David Perel, where we talk a lot about Twitter. And in listening to those episodes, they'll realize, oh, this is a pretty good show. I like this. And hopefully they'll listen to more episodes. So that's the biggest thing is like, how do I just get my work, which I put a ton of time into in front of new people all the time? And the challenge has been one of the highest impact ways that I've done that. I love that way of thinking about it. There are several podcasts that I listen to and I'm trying to think of how, how did I find those podcasts? Like, how did I get to them? And, uh, you know, it's obviously it's a mix of things. Sometimes it's like a friend's recommendation or sometimes there's a specific topic that I'm excited about. So I might search for a few keywords and some stuff might pop up and I'll try out the first few ones or something. But honestly, it's, it's a very difficult thing to kind of sort of weed through it all there. And I feel like the most of the podcasts that I enjoy the most have been through either a friend's recommendation or at the end of a podcast I'm already listening to, they'll do like a little 10 second blurb about, hey, if you like this Mm. podcast, you should definitely check out blah, 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 blah. So it's like very word of mouth, very like this and that. It's not like 
definitely the search function on my phone isn't how I find most of them because there's just too much. No. And that's the thing. Like, I think this is kind of dated data, but last time I checked, which I think this is data is from like 2019, the average podcast listener listened to seven or seven hours of podcasts per week. And you might think like, wow, seven podcasts. I can be better than one of those seven, but ah, it's tough. It's tough. People like are really tribal almost about the shows that they love. And so if mm. you're going to like, they're probably not going to expand the total listening time that they have in a week. You're probably going to have to unseat one of those shows, at least on yeah. some fairly regular basis. That's tough because I'm protective of those things. I don't know that I want or need another podcast. So hitting play the first time on a show is like the biggest barrier that you have and by having like a really good reason and real estate in people's inbox to say i know what you care about right now and it's growing on twitter and i have two episodes that will help you do that if they click play now they're listening to it because i know when people listen to creative elements they say wow this is better than i expected <laughs> it's like literally the thing that people tell me all the time like hey I listen to your show and it's better than i expected <laughs> Thanks. But I'm glad you feel that way. And I hope you keep listening. But I think the real mark is some people, a lot of people have said, this is my favorite show. And if they use the mm -hmm. F word, mm -hmm. then I think you're like really on to something because that's going to become hard to unseat. It's not going to be like, oh, I'll listen to this sometimes. It's like, that is the one that I'm listening to every week. And if the show wasn't good, I don't think this challenge as a strategy for getting the show in front of people would matter because they would maybe listen to an episode and then bounce off. But now that I know like, okay, that's working. And I know that this is a good mechanism for getting people to click play the first time. I'm incentivized to put more effort into this challenge and eat the 100 to $200 cost per month that it costs to run the free challenge because it's, it's an investment, yeah, in a way, in a really long tail way. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm hearing from you there in, to, in answer to Miguel's question of like the ultimate goal really is if listenership increases in your podcast, mm -hmm. right, is the, the ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. And subscribers in a way like you had. Yep. Like when you join the challenge, you get on my email list when I put a lot of mm -hmm. effort into Creative Companion, the newsletter that I put out every Sunday and people stick around for that. Or if they don't like that, they can unsubscribe and that's just fine, too. Mm -hmm. That's the bigger goal. And it's just nice because all things are aligned. Everybody's incentives yep. are aligned. The person yeah. succeeds. My Twitter following grows. My email following might grow. My subscriber following might grow. And those people are getting introduced to a whole new group of people. Because what I hear all the time that just surprises the heck out of me is people are like, I've met so many new interesting people because they're clicking the hashtag and seeing agreeing people's tweets or people will come like their tweet and they'll say, who the heck is this person? Because not everybody has 10,000 followers to start this. They might have 200. And somebody liking their tweet that they hadn't seen before is mm -hmm. new and exciting and awesome. And now that's a, a potential friend. And I, I completely underestimated the value that the challenge would bring to people. I was wondering, this is probably something that was obviously intentional, but one of the things that I love about this is that I'm not just participating in something that's like, you know, it's not because like there's a, sometimes it's, there's like a hashtag, which is like going viral. And it's just like, I want to hop on the bandwagon of this thing. I just, I love that you're kind of doing some heavy lifting for the people who are participating and you're doing something on the back end that, you know, tracks this stuff and, and ultimately you're creating the environment for, for this thing to succeed instead of just trying to be 
like, mm. hey, this is a new hashtag. Let's all use it, you know? And then to what end, right? Just so that we're all using the same hashtag? No, it goes a step further. And there's like some tracking and accountability. And everybody's, you know, changing the description in their header to see how many days in a row they've done it. And I think that's an entirely different type of virality that I think is really, really cool. Yeah. And if it didn't work, people would stop. Right. Because I think it's actually an uphill battle to get people to use any hashtag on their tweets because it's just not really behavior that people do Mm -hmm. on Twitter so much anymore. And if they are going to do it, they're going to use one and it better be short. You know, I thought for a while that the mechanism for measuring this would have to be tweet 100 day one, day two. And Mm -hmm. I hated that because it would have been so much longer. It would take away valuable real estate in the tweet and it would look clunkier. And if something looks clunky, it's probably not going to get as much traction as something that just doesn't have a hashtag at all. So that's like the biggest uphill battle we have is the fact that like the mechanism is the hashtag. But because I think people are seeing that actually my tweets with the hashtag do really well because the community is here to support me, it reinforces that it's actually a good idea to keep doing it. Yeah, hashtags are so annoying on Instagram because in order to get more visibility on Instagram, for example, the more hashtags you have, the more like ways people are going to find your posts. So then you'll see someone, they'll have a picture or a video and they'll have a tiny little caption and then they'll do like three or four spaces. And then it'll just be like a hashtag tornado of just like 50 hashtags. And I'm just like, this looks like shit. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, I understand why you're doing it, but like, this makes me not like you as much because I'm just like, what are you doing? Because it's like 19 different versions of the same sentence. It would be like tweet 100, 100 tweet, tweet X 100. You know, like they would just do like different versions of the same thing 60 times. And I'm just, it's really stupid. I just have to speak up and confess that that's what happens on my Instagram posts. (laughs) Sorry, Charlie. (laughs) It's like, I think this will work because it's, but like what actually happens in reality to me so far at least is like, then I get... 10 comments with just like a fire emoji or people saying great content. Yep. yep. Spam. Yep. <laughs> it's not your fault. Exactly. I think We're like all Instagram. playing the game and none of us are winning with it. Exactly. <laughs> I think that these companies could make a better way for adding hashtags that it wouldn't, that there's gotta be a better way to do this. Like if you want to put a bunch of hashtags on it, don't make it part of the, like the paragraph that's where the header, like where the description's supposed to go, like put yeah, it somewhere yeah, yeah. else or something. I don't know. It's gotta be a better way. It has to be a better one. (laughs) Got to put in the comments. But speaking of content and like quality, I'm curious to know what you're doing or like what you're communicating through your email sequence to people. Maybe you can share some advice because I feel like the tweet 100 tweets I've been seeing, they're not throwaway tweets, right? People are being very intentional. And what I've heard from you and seen from you and others is that it's focused on sharing value, right? The concept is show up, share value on Twitter, not just like tweet anything. What advice do you have about that? That's the concept. And I'm glad that that's what you're seeing. And I think it's probably reinforced by like the culture of the community doing the challenge. But like that was the description on the landing page in ConvertKit. That's the description on the website. That's the description in the first email. I can't police that. I won't police that. And I would say probably like Mm. one out of every 20 is somebody saying, forgot to do my hashtag tweet 100 post today. So here it is. And that's it. It's like, right, right. All right. I'll accept that because having (laughs) patterns and keeping the streak, like, okay, that's fine. But yeah, in the first email, It says, welcome to the challenge, and it has a link to the leaderboard. It reinforces that value proposition of, hey, this is about growth and getting your ideas out there. And this should be one tweet that you're proud of is the way that I put it. I say one tweet that you're proud of, and that's subjective, right? But at least that's something you can tick your own box in your head of, am I glad that I did that? Does that do enough for me? It's not not looking for external validation of, 
Did I get 10 likes and a retweet on this? Then the second day, I share four tools that I use myself that I think are really helpful. One of them is Typefully, one is Hype Fury, one is ILO, which is uh, analytics. Typefully is kind of like a free tool that helps you write threads really quickly. It's like a browser-based composition tool that turns it into threads. It's really mm. nice. Hype Fury has similar functionality, but it's a lot more robust. Like it will actually go through your entire tweet timeline and pull down the ones that did really well. And Ooh. you can mark and say like, is this an evergreen tweet that I want to retweet at some time in the near future? Or you can use it for inspiration. You can basically remix your own ideas that did well. ILO is analytics and Tweet Hunter is another inspiration tool where you give it some ideas, some tags that you like, like I said, community building and creators and maybe NFTs. And it will pull tweets from all of Twitter that are around those ideas that have done well and you can remix them and basically say like, oh, I see where this prediction is going. That inspires me to tweet this thing. So that's day two. Day three is an email introducing the episode with Dickie Bush and David Perel. I intentionally waited a couple of days before sharing my own work because I want the challenge to be about people. I don't want to be like, hey, thanks for being here. Listen to my podcast. <laughs> I want to say, hey, thanks for being here. Here's the challenges. Here's how you can succeed. And here's another way that can help you succeed. Yeah. And then the fourth day, and I only put this in recently and only because a lot of people asked, but I still feel ambivalent about it. The fourth day is saying, so glad that you're here. And it's actually like more than a week after you join the challenge. Uh, it's like, so glad you're here. If you enjoy this and you want to support the challenge, here's how much it actually costs to run it. And if you want to donate to my buy me a coffee link, like here's how you can give me five bucks or something. I'm ambivalent about it. People have been very generous. It's very low pressure. I literally say like zero pressure, zero expectation. You don't have to do this only to this if you're in a position to do so. But that's the, that's the series. That's great. I think it's important to give people a way to support you and to tell them like, hey, this is the thing that I most need help with on this. I don't think that you should yeah, feel weird about doing that at all. It's people's choice to donate or not. And that's great that you give them a way to show their support if they're, if they're feeling that. We should give a shout out right now too that people can still join the challenge, right? We're, we're yeah. 41 days in, but people can start anytime. I'm stoked about that too, because I didn't want to make it like this big cohorted, I launch four times a year thing. I know that it's mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. kind of sad for people who join late and they want to see themselves up high on the leaderboard, but People who joined early, at some point, they're going to reach 100 right. and they drop off then. Actually, once you hit 100, you drop off the leaderboard unless you join again. And so you will have a chance to be up near the top, but it's a rolling challenge. You can uh -huh. join anytime you want. And it starts tracking based on the day that you say you want to start the challenge. I'm curious to hear your answer to this question from Teddy as well. Teddy said, has the challenge changed what you'll be working on as a creator over the next weeks or months? Has it given you a change of direction or perspective? It's changed my direction less than it's given me a lot of confidence. You know, as an independent creator myself, there are a lot of days that I make work and I put it out and I don't hear a response that I'm expecting. And I think, is my stuff bad? Mm -hmm. But with the challenge, because I'm constantly getting in front of new people, the feedback I'm getting from people is like, I can't believe I didn't find you sooner. I can't believe I haven't heard the show before. I love this episode. It's like been remarkably positive and it's reinforced that if I get in front of new people, they stick around and they enjoy reading what I have to say. They enjoy listening. And so I should just keep fighting that like difficult battle of getting in front of new people. And if the challenge is a great way to do that, I want to ride that momentum for as long as I can and support people and help them find success. And so I am putting more work into and attention into the challenge than I anticipated when I started it. But And money. <laughs> and money. 
other than that, I just want to keep, you know, doing what I'm doing with the show and, and writing because it seems to be working. Any last questions for Jay McGill? No, I just wanted to point out that I know we've talked about this a few times in the past about um, like the weirdness that can come about of like when you kind of prop the question of, of hey, this is uh, my life's work and it'd be cool if you supported me. And like you kind of you always feel like you're kind of kind of like sliding it in there like, haha, I tricked you. I actually want money. And it's like that's never it at all. It's just like as a creator, no. it's always as a human, it feels weird to ask anybody for anything. I think most people struggle with that. But I think as a creator is like a constant struggle of at what point is it understandable and completely okay for you to ask for some kind of compensation from the people who benefit from the things that you create. And anything that you can do to get yourself mentally prepared to to do that, I think is great. And I just wonder, Jay, if, if you had any, I'm sure you have, oh, yeah. you can offer some kind of anecdote where you've struggled with this. Constantly. What I've been trying to do more so lately is like be very explicitly low pressure and show some visibility into where it's going. So at the bottom of mm -hmm. all of my course pages right now, there's a block that says all proceeds go directly to my wedding. And it's a photo of me and my fiance, our <laughs> engagement photos. And it's just like, this is where it's going. I want to give you some visibility into it. Before that, it was uh, a down payment on our house. I think it's fun. I think it's humanizing in that way. Mm. Charlie, you and I talked about this on Creative Elements when I interviewed you. I'm also like more loudly sharing with people that I think it's totally fine to work in a job for a long time where you can remove the financial pressure on your projects because financial pressure adds a constraint to your work mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that constraint may change the way that you approach it and may even make you compromise what you want to do because of that constraint and that's not fun so i've been writing a lot lately about this idea i'm calling creative independence where a lot of people want financial independence and i think they want financial independence so they can do the things that they want to do which is what I call creative independence. And you can do that now without financial independence. <laughs> and I just would encourage people, like if you want to make stuff and you're really compelled to do things the way that you want to do them, you can do that and work a full-time job or a part-time job or freelance, whatever you want to do and not feel like any lesser of a creator because you're not self-employed or fully supporting yourself with your work yet. It's probably better for your work long-term to do it in the way that it needs to be done without the constraint of financial needs. Here, here to that. <laughs> Let's end on that note. I feel like that's a wonderfully yeah. inspiring note to end on. And um, I also want to end on a, like, we've had people joining the challenge throughout this. Head to tweet100.com if you want to sign up as well. But definitely also check out Creative Elements. I personally have, like, burnt out on interview shows over, you know, the past few years. I feel like there's so many of them out there. But when I listened to Jay's, when he um, invited me to be on it, I was like, this is not your average interview show. Jay puts so much effort into, like, turning it into a narrative. And I don't know, it's just, it's such high production value. So you should check it out. Check out Creative Elements. If you want to listen to my episode, I mean, you know, you could learn more about <laughs> me and that. But they're all really good. So I'm just going to do the pitch for you there, Jay. <laughs> Thank you. Give it a listen. Start with episode one. Start with the most recent episode, whatever you want. I'm equally proud of all of them, which makes me super happy to say. It's like, I don't care where you start. That listen to any rare. one of them. Listen to any yeah. one of them. And yeah. I think you'll like it. So pick one that stands out to you. And I'm guessing the just the place we would go is wherever they get podcasts, right? Wherever you get podcasts. Creative elements. <laughs> 
Love it. And also follow Jay on Twitter, obviously, because that's what we've been talking about. Jay Klaus, C-L-O-U-S-E. I'm not actually sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. You are. putting a New Zealand spin on it. Great. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Go follow him over there. Thanks for joining us today and sharing all this. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for making ConvertKit the awesome product that it is, because it's a (laughs) huge part of my life as a creator. It's sincerely like a massive part of why I'm able to do the things that I do. So thank you guys. Thank you for saying that. We didn't even make you say it. (laughs) Nope. We didn't pay you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.